1: TBN Pinellas Park W262CP Bayonet Point
0: brought to you by Moss Nissan simply the portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time Odyssey the following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time up next is verse by verse sponsored by verse by verse ministries
1: notice as we look back at chapter 2 verse 16 he puts it this way nevertheless knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but through faith in Christ Jesus even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified now I don't know how Paul could have said it any clearer than this That is pretty
2: straightforward, isn't it? Martin Luther wrote a poem that I don't have time to read in its entirety, but here are the first two and the last four lines. I do not come because my soul is free from sin, and pure and whole and worthy of thy grace. I do not speak to thee because I have ever justly kept thy laws, and dare to meet thy face. And then it concludes, I know that though in doing good I spend my life, I never could atone for all I've done. But though my sins are black as night, I dare to come before thy sight, because I trust thy Son. In him alone my trust I place, come boldly to thy throne of grace, and there commune with thee. Salvation sure, O Lord, is mine, and all unworthy. I am thine, for Jesus died for me. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve is beginning his second message in a series from Galatians chapter 3 about the purpose of God's law. While the law does serve a purpose, that purpose is not that we should seek salvation by following it. Today, we'll see that the Apostle Paul pointed out three reasons for that fact. Let's listen as Pastor Steve begins.
1: Let's open our Bibles once again to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I want to read to you starting at verse 15 until verse 22. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant. Yet, when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or sets conditions to it. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. What I'm saying is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it's no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions. Having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith, in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. This morning, we want to continue our study of Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we want to pick up right where we left off several weeks ago with these verses here in chapter 3. Now, let me remind you where we are in our study of Galatians and how this present passage fits into it. As you recall, the primary message of this epistle is that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ, without any mixture of law added to it. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Now, the Galatians to whom this letter was addressed had received this gospel message of salvation from Paul and Barnabas when these missionaries, these apostles, visited them on their first missionary journey. But at some point later in time, they had also been visited by certain Jewish men from Jerusalem who told them that Paul was wrong. What he had been teaching them was not the right gospel message because they said he didn't tell them that they needed to not only believe in Jesus, but also keep the laws that God had given to Moses. They said salvation was by faith in Jesus, but also it was necessary to keep the law. And they also undermined Paul's teaching about grace alone and faith alone in Christ for salvation by attacking his credibility by saying that he was not a true apostle. He was a fake. He was a fraud. He wasn't like the other 12 apostles, And therefore, he was preaching a false man-made, invented message. And that's why Paul takes most of chapters 1 and 2 to defend his apostleship by arguing that Christ had not only called him into the ministry of an apostle, but also that the Lord had revealed himself and the very message that he was preaching, the message of salvation by faith to him. He said, it's not my message, Christ is gave me this message, and therefore he said, I am just as much an apostle as the 12 other apostles who reside in Jerusalem. The only difference being that Paul's focus of ministry was towards the Gentiles, and the other apostles' ministry focused primarily on Jewish people. But therein lay the reason why Paul was so criticized by these Jewish teachers and others from Jerusalem. Because in ministering to Gentiles who, unlike Jewish people, had not been raised to observe any of the laws of Moses, wasn't part of their culture, Paul always made sure that these Gentiles understood they didn't first need to become Jews before becoming Christians, they, they didn't need to keep any of the Jewish laws. They didn't need to be circumcised. They didn't need to keep kosher food. They didn't need to observe the Sabbath. They didn't need to keep any of the rituals. They were saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Paul made it very clear to them that that's the way of salvation without any law-keeping or good works involved. In fact, notice as we look back at chapter 2, verse 16, he puts it this way. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Now, I don't know how Paul could have said it any clearer than this. This is perhaps the clearest statement in all of Scripture. That justification, which simply means that God declares a man legally righteous, justification is only on the basis of faith in Christ apart from any works of the law in any way. And by way of application, this principle is teaching us that no one is saved today because they were baptized in water or they've kept certain sacraments, as the Roman Catholic Church teaches, or because they observe the Sabbath day as holy and eat only Old Testament kosher-approved food, as certain Messianic Jews teach, or because they perform any sacred observance as so many religious organizations teach. Justification comes only by the means of God's grace, which is his undeserved favor, It's through faith in Christ Jesus and his substitutionary death on the cross. That's precisely, folks, the reason why Paul wrote this letter. His objective was to win back the Galatians, to reconvince them that the message they heard from him at the beginning, that's the right message. It didn't change, and they shouldn't have changed. Salvation is not by the works of the law, but through faith alone in Christ. And so, as Paul enters what we call chapter 3, the apostle argues along two lines, hoping to persuade the Galatians to return to the gospel. First, he argues along the lines of their own experience. Their own experience ought to teach them that salvation is by grace. Notice verses 1 and 2, he says of chapter 3, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And Paul said, you've been foolish. You've allowed yourself to be deceived, to be bewitched, as it were, by these false teachers. And you know better than that. You're foolish because you have no excuse. You know better than to fall for this. How would they know better? Because Jesus Christ had been publicly portrayed before them, and Paul said, look, all you need to do is think back on your experience. When you heard me preach the gospel to you, and you received Christ, that is when the Holy Spirit came into your life and transformed you. Not when you started keeping any of these Jewish laws. You ought to know that salvation is by grace from your own experience. But as we've said many times, experience, is, experience alone, I should say, is never a good basis for proving a theological point because one's experience may not be biblical. Now, theirs was biblical, but experience alone has to be also reinforced by Scripture. And so, leaving the Galatians' experience, Paul now moves on to argue for justification by faith and not law by appealing to the Bible, to Scripture, the final authority in all matters. And the specific place in the Bible that he, that he uses is the biblical record of Abraham, the father, the patriarch, of the Jewish people. Notice verse 6. Even so, he says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He's quoting, as we've said before, from Genesis 15, 6. And Paul does this to present the fact that Abraham was justified by his faith, not by anything he did. Abraham simply believed God's word that God said, I promise you that you will have a son out of your own body and on the basis of his faith that God would keep his word and do exactly what he said he would do, Abraham was justified. He didn't have to do anything, he just believed. He believed what God said he would do. But it wasn't only Abraham who was saved this way, as if Abraham's salvation is unique, it's special, it's not unlike anybody else's. No, Paul goes on to make the point that Abraham was the model for all of us. He's the example of how we are to be saved, verses 7 through 9. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. What Paul is saying is this, in, in giving Abraham the promise that all the nations would be blessed in him, meaning in one special descendant of his. That's where the blessing comes from. From you, Abraham, one will rise up who will be the blessing to all the nations. That one is Jesus Christ. God was letting us know that his plan from the very beginning, his plan for the gospel, was always to justify Gentiles, not restricted to to Jews. And they were to be justified the same way that Abraham was justified, by simple faith. And so we become Abraham's spiritual sons and daughters, not by being born into a Jewish family, but by trusting God the same way that Abraham did. He just believed. Now, this was completely contrary to everything that the Galatians had been told by the Judaizers, those men who were from Jerusalem. We called them the Judaizers because they said, you first have to be Jewish in order to become a Christian. These men had stressed to them that Paul was wrong that they did need to keep the Jewish laws in order to be justified. And so, note this, since the keeping of the law was so paramount and so critical to the Judaizers uh, and to the Galatians at this point, Paul decides at this point in his letter to shift his attention away from Abraham's justification by faith in order to explain to the Galatians why it is impossible for them or anyone else to be justified by keeping The law—it's an impossibility—and in doing so, Paul has, frankly, some very negative things to say about the law of Moses. Things that that the Galatians had never heard before. Certainly, the Judaizers had never heard this before. For example, the first negative thing Paul says about the law is that the law of God demands absolute, one hundred percent perfection all the time. Otherwise, it places an individual under the divine curse of God. It means judgment. Verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law to perform them. What Paul is saying in this verse, which is actually a quote from the, from the law itself, Deuteronomy 27, 26, is that the law requires perfect obedience all the time. And that even to slip up once brings with it a curse of divine condemnation. So yeah, you want to be justified by the law, all you have to do is keep it all. See, God considers his law one complete unit, one entity, not a bunch of miscellaneous parts thrown together. So if we break one law, we've broken the entire law. That's how God sees it. And that's the point that Paul is making because he wants the Galatians to understand that far from justifying a sinner, The law of God actually condemns him. It doesn't justify him, it condemns him. It curses him. Even the best of men, because even the best of us can't possibly live up to the high standards of the law. Our sinful hearts and natures won't allow us to live up to these standards because all of us, without any exception, are rebellious, stubborn, self-centered individuals bent on doing whatever we think benefits us, regardless of how it affects God or anybody else. Now, the second negative thing that Paul said about the law is that it never claimed to be the means of obedience. Judaizers said it did. Paul proves from Scripture it it never did. On the contrary, Scripture has always taught that justification comes about by faith, never by keeping the law. Now, he has used Abraham as the model for this, but now he quotes from another passage of Scripture. Look at verse 11. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident for, and now he quotes from Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous man shall live by faith. And the point that he's making here is that Scripture teaches that God's justified ones are characterized by living by faith in him. In other words, in contrast to unbelievers, true believers live their lives by faith. It doesn't mean that they always are living by faith. It means generally speaking. It's characteristic of their lives. They're, yes, there are bumps in the road where we forget these things. But in general, a true believer lives by faith. They trust God in the midst of the most disturbing and difficult and distressing times of life. That is to say that faith is the way of life for a true Christian. He is saved by faith. He lives by faith and not by trying to earn his way into heaven by being good. The third negative thing Paul says about the law is that the principle of law-keeping is completely different from the principle of faith. They are opposites. Verse 12, however, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. The point that Paul is making here is that faith and law are incompatible as the grounds of salvation. See, faith says rely on God for what he has done in Christ. That's what faith says. Trust God, rely on him for what he's done in in Christ. But law says, no, rely on your own efforts yourself so as to try to merit and earn God's favor. In other words, Paul is saying you can't mix grace and law for salvation, which is precisely, folks, what the Judaizers were teaching because grace and law are two contrasting principles. One says done in Christ. The other says, do all you can. And so, now pay close attention to what I'm about to say. In light of all of this negative talk about the law, Paul very wisely anticipates an objection and an argument coming from the Judaizers because they were quite defensive of the law, quite protective of the law. Their whole lives were built around the law and they would be highly insulted by any negativity Paul would have said about the law. And so the objection that Paul anticipates from them is this. If the law only brings a curse, as you say it does, Paul, a curse upon those who try to attain salvation by keeping it, and if it is so contrary to the biblical message of faith and salvation, and if it is so opposed to the very principle of faith, then why was the law given by God in the first place, Paul? Tell us why. If it can't save us, as you say, then what's the point? That's actually a very good question. And it's a question that we really need an answer to. Why did God give his law to Israel when he knew that they couldn't possibly keep it? Why did he give all these ordinances if if they only bring condemnation and not salvation? Why did God lay down ten commandments that demand that we obey his holy standards when he knew that our sinful hearts would rebel against every one of those commandments and we would break them inwardly, certainly, and many times outwardly. What the Judaizers wanted to know is this, what's the purpose then of the law? If, as you say, Paul, it can't save us. Now, Paul knew that this was on their minds. How did he know this? He knew that his opponents were thinking this way. Remember this, as we've said before, it would appear based on Acts 15, that these Judaizers were former Pharisees who came to at least believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They were not converted men, or they would never say that you had to be saved by the law. But these were former Pharisees who claimed that they were Christians, were actually part of the church at Jerusalem, but they were former Pharisees. Now, Paul was a former Pharisee. And as a former Pharisee, Paul had been trained and raised just like these men. He knew what they were thinking. He knew the disciplines of their training. He knew how their minds operated. And so in this next section of Galatians, Paul, knowing how they were thinking, answers the Judaizers' objections to all of his negative talk about the law by teaching the Galatians and us God's purpose in giving his law. Now, it's going to take us a few weeks to work through this section, but it is a most rewarding section of Scripture because this passage in the Bible, is going to affirm to us some really important truths that affect us daily. For one thing, we're going to see God's character affirm that he is, he is a God of truth. He is a God who keeps his word. You'll also learn why, why salvation has to be by faith alone, can't possibly come on the basis of anything that, that we do. In addition, we'll also learn some very valuable lessons about specifically why did God, Give his law, and how could we use the law in our daily lives as a witness to others in sharing the gospel? So, this passage of scripture is very practical, it's very important, it's also quite theological, and the verses unfold this way. In addressing the Judaizers, Paul teaches us three key truths about the law. We're going to see one of these truths this morning, and then, Lord willing, next week we'll see the other. Two, And the first truth that Paul reveals about the purpose of the law, which is actually, keep this in mind, it's really a statement on what the purpose of the law is not, more than what the purpose of the law is. Next week we'll look specifically at the purpose of the law. But this first truth we're going to look at is really what, what the purpose of the law is not. What it was not intended to do, what it can't do. The first key truth is this. God never intended the law to supplant or replace the message of salvation by faith. God never intended his law to replace the message of salvation by faith. Here's how Paul develops this, verse 15. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it's only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now, with this statement, Paul notice there's a change of, of tone. He calls them brethren. Remember how the chapter began? He didn't call them brethren; called them foolish, called them bewitched. Now he refers to them as brethren, brothers, and sisters, because he considers them true though misled believers. And as brethren, he wants to teach them. He wants to reason with them about something important concerning. The covenant and the promise that God gave to Abraham, specifically that part of the promise which involves the blessings of salvation that we have in Christ.
2: Faith in our Messiah has always been God's means of redeeming us. If we think that we can earn salvation, well, we don't understand the magnitude of our sin or of God's impossibly high standards. Pastor Steve Kreloff will have more on the purpose of God's law on our next Verse by Verse. Thanks for listening. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to visit Lakeside, the address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. You can get more information online at lakesidechapel.com or call the office at 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714 or online at lakesidechapel.com. As a faith ministry, verse-by-verse depends on God's provision through His people. If you'd like to help with our expenses, we try to make it easy through the giving page found at versebyverseradio.org. We are very thankful for and to our generous listeners who participate financially with us. May God richly bless you. Also on our website, you can make use of our message archive, where you can stream or download any of the hundreds,